Amen. Thank you, Bill, and thank you, worship ministry as well. I would invite you to take your copy of the Lord's Word and turn to Habakkuk, Habakkuk chapter 1. Perhaps you still have your bookmark from a few weeks ago. I missed you all last week, because I know you all had a treat in listening to Corey Lee last week on Father's Day. I got to listen online. What a blessing that was. Corey did our leadership development for our staff team over the past year and was a tremendous blessing to each of us, especially to me personally. And I asked him to speak on Father's Day knowing that I was going to be out. Last week I was privileged to uh, speak at First Baptist Church of Corinth, Mississippi, uh, where my friend Nathan Van Horn is the pastor. And it was a, a joy to be up there. But I told them last week, I said, it's been really nice being with you all, but I always miss being at home. So it's always a blessing to be here with you. So this is now the third message in our series on Habakkuk. Uh, we essentially have been setting the stage in the first two messages about what Habakkuk is, who he is, and what time of which he was ministering. I'm going to put all of that in a nutshell in about 30 seconds for you. Habakkuk is a prophet during the Old Testament time. He is serving at the end of the Judean kingdom. This is long after the kingdom had split into north and south. And there has been a long slide and decline into really corruption and uh, despair in lots of ways for the people of God, despair and corruption with the governing powers of Judah at the time. And the last good king was Josiah. We talked about him, and then he had four kings which followed him, three of which were his sons and one of which was his grandson and they were all just one disaster after another because they turned their hearts away from God and just as a reminder those four kings did something that none of the other kings had done before them they actually persecuted the people of God not only did they deal corruptly and did they do evil but they were now leading people to actually persecute those who sought to please the Lord so Habakkuk sees this in his time, and he sees how the kingdom of Judah, the supposed city of Jerusalem, the supposed city of God, the city set high on a hill, the city of heaven which is supposed to be on earth, has now sunk to a place of corruption and evil where it is actually persecuting the people who are seeking to follow God. And Habakkuk's had enough of it. So his ministry was different, remember? Remember we said typically the ministry of the prophet is to stand in the Lord's presence and receive a word from the Lord and then look eye to eye to the people and then preach to the people. In fact, whenever you hear the word prophet in the Bible, you should think preacher uh, because prophets were preachers. They weren't just predictors of the future. They were preachers giving warnings and instructions and words to the people. They were, as one biblical commentator put it, as I saw this week, eyeball to eyeball preachers. There was a preacher that I used to listen to when I was a kid, and he had this ability to look in the congregation. It felt like he would stop, and then he would stare at you for a few minutes. And every time he caught my gaze, I was like, oh my, please look away. <laughs> but um, don't worry. Don't worry, I'm never looking at you because the lights are so bright up here. I can hardly see your faces. So if you think I'm looking at you, that's God on you. So, <laughs> but, but, but anyway, 
Prophets were eyeball-to-eyeball preachers to get in people's faces and say, listen, this is what the Lord says, but this is not Habakkuk's ministry. Habakkuk doesn't have a preaching ministry according to the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk is rather taking complaints from his heart and living amongst his people and taking it to God. This is very different than all the other prophets. He's the only prophet who does this. He takes his complaint to God and says, hey, why is all this happening? And God, why aren't you doing something about it? Because there's some really bad stuff that's happening. So let's pick up there today. We're going to reread Habakkuk chapter 1 and verses 1 through 11 this morning. We've already looked at 1 through 4, but just since it's just a few verses, we'll reread it. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you not hear? Or cry to you, violence, and you will not save. Keep in mind, violence, they're persecuting the godly people in his day. Verse 3, why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you look I, why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. So justice goes forth perverted. Now listen to the Lord's response. Look among the nations and see wonder and be astounded for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if it were told for behold I am raising up the Chaldeans that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own they are dreaded and fearsome their justice and dignity go forth from themselves their horses are swifter than leopards more fierce than the evening wolves their horsemen press proudly on their horsemen come from afar they fly like an eagle swift to devour they all come for violence all their faces forward they gather captives like sand at kings they scoff and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose own might is their God. I want to talk to you this morning about the God box. The God box. Our statement is this. God fits neatly into our box until he doesn't god fits neatly into our box until he doesn't what we see here at the opening of habakkuk is habakkuk saying my country my people is so corrupt it's filled with all kinds of corruption and evil and perversion and aren't you going to do something about it god at least Stop the persecution of godly people. Do something about it. And you know what God says? Okay, I will. And Habakkuk's God box 
is about to get blown away. Now, what, what is the statement, the God box? Because we all have one. A box is this. A box, when it comes to thinking about ideas and trying to put our minds and our arms around concepts, is our best attempt to make sense of something and we try to compartmentalize it into a smaller space in which we can understand. Uh, I know I'm not the only one who does this, but occasionally I'll run into a subject that I want to know something about. And the first thing I do is I run to the public library. No, I don't do that. The first thing I do is I pull up Google. Or if not Google, I like typically uh, pulling up YouTube. And it's amazing what you can learn on YouTube. In fact, if I want to know a review about a product, I will pull up YouTube and I'll say, I want to know reviews on this product and this product, and I'll type it in. And then you know how it is. You've done it. There's at least 2,000, 2 million, whatever, different videos and different reviews out there on that. And I will start to go down, and I'm, let's say I'm reviewing a, a new fishing rod or a fishing reel. And I'm, I'm looking down, and I'm looking at all these reviews, and I see one that's like 33 minutes. And I'm like, oh, man, I love fishing, but I ain't listening 33 minutes of God talking. And then I'll see one that's 27 minutes. Oh, no, man, that, need, that guy needs a life. All right, now I'll keep on going down, and I was like, oh, that, here's one that's 90 seconds. I, I, I'm listening to this one. Now, it's not just about fishing reels and stuff like that, because here's what happens. Your sister or your brother has heart surgery, and you know nothing about it, and they have some kind of complex procedure, and you go, hmm, I don't know anything about that. Google, what is this procedure? And then you go, and you find all these videos about this heart procedure, and there's one that's 33 minutes, and you're like, ah, that's too much. And then there's this one that's, ah, that's too much. And then there's one that's 90 seconds. And then you watch it and you go, wow, that's, that ain't nothing to this. I could do this surgery. This is no big deal. What is that? What is that? That is the compartmentalization of cramming down all kinds of stuff and placing it in the box. And YouTube makes us feel like we really know what we're doing. But we really don't. We know about this much. It's kind of like this. The box, the God box, is kind of like a book. You know, a book, it's got pages with all kinds of information in it, but on the outside of most books is a title page with the author's name. And then sometimes in the inside flap of the dust jacket, there'll be a little bit of description about the author. And then on the other dust jacket, there will typically be, or on the back, some words from other authors that say, this is why I like this book and this is why you should read it. And typically on the back cover or sometimes somewhere, there will be a little blurb about what this book is about. Now, if you read the cover of the book, you're going to have a general idea what the book is about. But you haven't read the book. That is a huge difference. There is a huge difference. We know what cliff notes are, the idea of reading the highlights of something to know the gist about something and then actually knowing something. And, and here is the danger. Here is the danger is that when it comes to God, especially if we grow up in church, which is a blessed thing, by the way, if we grow up in church, we hear about God all the time, and we think, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, I know how God works. I've got him all figured out. Not that we would ever boast about it arrogantly and say, well, listen, I can understand everything there is to know about God. 
Most Christians aren't going to say that. But subconsciously, we have this idea of, I kind of got God figured at this point. I've read enough of the Bible. I've heard enough sermons. I've lived enough life. I kind of know how God works. And so we form our box, our little 90-second or five-minute video of everything that we know about God and that we can shove it down in the box. And as we open Habakkuk's story, Habakkuk is dealing with God in Habakkuk's God box because Habakkuk is complaining about the problems and he's saying, look, don't you know that our nation's corrupt? Don't you know that our leaders are just corrupt? Don't you know that, that we're, we're sliding into ruin? Don't you know about the moral decay, God? All of this stuff. Won't you do something, God? Please do something. And Habakkuk is operating in this box. What's interesting, Habakkuk 1 verse 5 is a verse that is often misquoted. You could see this back when there used to be a thing called Christian bookstores. Like there used to be this verse would be found on t-shirts. You could find this verse uh, on coffee cups and mugs. And it was also always meant to be encouraging because it was meant to say, look among the nations and see and wonder and be astounded for I'm doing a work in your days that would not, you would not believe if told. And it's meant to be an encouraging thing, meaning God's going to blow your mind and bless you and encourage you. But the original language doesn't really allow for that interpretation. In fact, notice how the New Testament quotes this verse in um, Acts chapter 13 and verse number 41. So Acts chapter 13 verse 41 is the Greek translation of the Hebrew. And Greek kind of tells us a little bit uh, more bluntly what's going on here. So let's, let's look at the Hebrew on the left and we'll read the Greek on the right. All right, the Hebrew on the left is this. Look among the nations and see and wonder and be astounded for I'm doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told you. But when St. Luke was writing his book of the Acts under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he quoted and he used these words in Greek. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish. Or uh, one translation I saw, pay attention and die. Okay, all right. For I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe even if one tells it to you. So, okay, this is clearly not an encouragement. This is clearly Habakkuk is saying, God, won't you do something? God said, oh, I'm doing something. Oh, I'm doing something. And Habakkuk's God box is about to get blown. So first principle number one today. We like Habakkuk can often believe God to be silent, passive, and distant. We, like Habakkuk, can often believe God to be silent, passive, and distant. Notice in verse number 2 when Habakkuk says, Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save why do you make me see iniquity why do you do idly and look at wrong destruction and violence are before me strife and contention arise so the law is paralyzed and justice goes forth for the wicked surround the righteous so justice goes forth perverted are you hearing it with different ears now Habakkuk is saying God what's going on 
I know my God box. I know you're a God that hates iniquity, hates corruption, hates sin, hates injustice. Why aren't you doing something? Because it's getting really bad out here, God. God, if it's bothering me, it's got to be bothering you, right? This is what Habakkuk is saying. And that's why if you look in the, the bold print in my copy of the Scripture in the little subject heading, it says Habakkuk's complaint. Because that's exactly what it is. God, won't you do something? Because I kind of feel like you ought to be doing something now. We like Habakkuk can often believe God to be silent, passive, and distant. God, why are you not working in my life? Maybe it's not Habakkuk. God, why are you not working in my nature? But God, why are you not working in my life? I see you working in my sister's life over there. I see you working in my brother's life over here. I see you working in my parents' life. I see you working in my neighbor's life. I see you working in my pastor's life or the pastor across down life or whatever. I see you working, but why aren't you working in my life? And don't think that I don't ask those questions from time to time. I do. God, why are you not working in my life? Or another one. God, why are you not working in my family? God, why are you not working in my family? Because one of the things that we can do, and here's one of the things that leads us to complaining, when we see nothing but the problem, we tend to obsess about the problem, and then it will drive us insane. The original version of Grimm's fairy tales of Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, the evil queen mother, and the story that supposedly in the Disney version looks on the wall, and you know this, what does she say? Mirror, mirror on the wall. Who's the fairest of them all? Well, incidentally, in the original version of that fairy tale, it wasn't a magic mirror in the wall. It was actually a mirror in the palm of her hand. And she constantly was looking in the mirror and looking at herself and looking at her own beauty, increasing her vanity, but also in the mirror, she would see her own reflection and then see her stepdaughter, Snow White, behind her. So because she kept looking at it and kept obsessing by what she was seeing in the palm of her hand, it drove her to an insane, crazy person. And when she became a witch and tried to kill her daughter, if you don't know that story, there is a Disney movie about it. It's Disney-fied, but it's still, it's a movie. Um, but anyway, this, seeing all this stuff literally drove her crazy into complaining and being ungrateful and obsessing and taking her to a place where she had not been before. You know what I was thinking about when I read that this week? Sorry. We have one of those mirrors in our hand too. We just look at it like this all the time and we see and then we obsess on the problem we read about all the news we read about all this bad stuff happening in our nation and we obsess on it and obsess on it and obsess on it and obsess on it and then we go god why aren't you doing something about this that's where Habakkuk is he's obsessed on it and obsessed on it and obsessed on it and obsessed on it and god says finally yeah well let me tell you what i'm doing Habakkuk so God, why are you not working in my life? God, why are you not working in my family? Or God, why are you not working among my people? God, why are you not working among my people? Oh, this is a line. I've heard it since I was a child. You've heard it. I've heard it. I've said it. You've said it. I think Billy Graham was actually the first to say it. And God forbid that I ever correct Billy Graham because no one has touched the world in our generation like he has. But there is this line is this and you know it when I say it you're gonna be like yeah I've heard that before if God doesn't judge America then he's going to have to apologize to what's the line Sodom and Gomorrah have you heard that line before what now Ruth Ruth Graham that said that 
Yeah. If God doesn't judge America, he's going to have to apologize. Thank you, Dr. Jimmy. God's going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, let's pause here for just a second. Because we understand where Ruth or his, her father, uh, and when people say that, we understand where they're coming from. They're like Habakkuk. They see the evil that is going on and the corruption that's going on, and we're saying, Jesus, why? God, why? Aren't you going to do something? Now, I will say, if you go back and read Genesis 19 and read about just how bad it was in Sodom and Gomorrah, Specifically how bad it was in Sodom where all the men of the city down to the last man came and were going, willing to abuse Lot and his uh, visitors right there in the front yard. That's pretty bad. I don't think we've gotten there yet. There's still many, many, many people that belong to Jesus in America. There are still many, many people who are functioning as salt and light. Um, and, but let me tell you why I think we say things like that. It's because of this and the TV and we obsess on the bad and the broken. You can turn on the local news of any station in America at night. What are you going to hear about? Hear about who died by killing, who got arrested, all these terrible things. Oh, that's just horrible. And it is horrible. But there's also many good things happening too. But here's what's amazing. I think like Habakkuk, we can say, God, aren't you going to do something about this? I mean, it, we even know it's really bad here now. And then God answers, which principle number two. We, like Habakkuk, miss what God is doing because we only look in our God box. We, like Habakkuk, miss what God is doing because we only look in our God box. I want you to look at God's response in verse number five. Notice what he says. Look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. So now, let me help you with the language here. The language here in the Old Testament is... Literally, I am doing, translated, is a thing is doing. Meaning, the Habakkuk, there is something already happening that I'm doing that if I told you what I was doing, you wouldn't believe me. And he's about to tell Habakkuk what he's doing, and Habakkuk has a major problem with it. So here's what's interesting. God, won't you do something? God said, actually... I am doing something. Why is it that we are unable? We know that God is always at work. We know that God is providential. He is the unseen hand. We know those things. He works actively and passively in, in all avenues of history and life as we experience, stretching out into the future. Why is it that we often think, God, why don't you do something about it as if He's like on a bathroom break, as if, you know, he's on vacation. Why is it that we feel like God's just not doing something? Well, first thing that is established for Habakkuk is this, is God's rule and reign is everywhere. I want you to see that statement again in verse number five. Notice what it says. It says specifically, God says, you want to see me working? 
Habakkuk, look among the nations. Interesting. Not look in Judah. Not look in Jerusalem. But Habakkuk, if you want to see me working, you look among the nations. You see, often, and like many in the Old Testament and stretching into the New Testament, Israel is God's chosen and elect people to do the work of the kingdom in the Old Testament, bringing that ministry through Christ into the new. Like, we know that stuff, okay, amen and amen. Um, But often, if God's working, He's using Israel, right? That would have been Habakkuk's thought. What's the thing that God tells Habakkuk? Habakkuk, you're thinking too small. If you want to see how I'm working, not look at Judah, not look at Jerusalem, not look at Israel. Habakkuk, look at the nations. Listen to Exodus chapter 19, verses 4 through 6. There's a statement in here that we learn about God when God is telling His elect people, Israel, that He's chosen for His purpose. He says, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to Myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey My voice and keep My covenant, you shall be My treasured possession among the peoples. And here's the phrase, for all the earth is Mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you were to speak to the people of Israel. What is God speaking to Moses to speak to the people? God's saying, yes, I've chosen you for a specific purpose, but the whole earth is mine. So don't get the big head. Everything belongs to me. Everybody belongs to me. Not I'm working in Israel. I'm working in the whole world world God's rule and reign are everywhere and one of the places and ways that Habakkuk's God box gets blown to pieces is that he thought God's work was centralized and working through Israel and Judah and if Israel and Judah are falling how in the world can what God's doing in the world how can he complete his promises as he is foretold and God just blows the lid off of that stuff and says you want to see me working, you got to look a whole lot broader than just your city, just your nation. Habakkuk, you've got to look to the world. God's rule and reign are everywhere. This is the first thing that God says to Habakkuk. But then secondly is this, is what he tells Habakkuk and who he tells Habakkuk he is going to use. This is interesting. In verse number 6, notice what it says. Behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. They, their justice and dignity go forth for themselves. I want you to skip down to verse 11. Look at this. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on. Notice what he says. Guilty men whose own might is their God. How interesting is that? God says to Habakkuk, you want to see how I'm working? I'm raising up the Chaldeans, the most notorious, the most wicked, the most godless, the most abusive, the most guilty people in all of the world. I'm raising them up. And by the way, A thing is not going to happen. It already is doing. They're already on their way to Jerusalem. 
and they're going to wipe you out. Whoa. We find in this that Habakkuk's God box, God box is blown not because he realizes God's rule and reign is everywhere, but God works just as readily through his enemies as he does his elect. Now, when I say his elect, I mean it in the general sense, his chosen people. God chose Israel to do a great work through them. But one of the things the Old Testament makes clear in the New Testament as well, God uses everybody. God can use anybody. God spoke through a little donkey. God can use anybody. Exodus chapter 9, verses 14 through 17. I love here what is spoken to Pharaoh. It says, For this time I will send all my plagues on you yourself and on your servants and on your people so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. God speaking through Moses to Pharaoh. For my, by now I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence and you would have been cut off from the earth. But listen to this. But for this purpose, by the way, this is quoted by Paul in Romans 9, but for this purpose, I've raised you up to show my power that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. You are still exalting yourself against my people and will not let them go. What is the word that God has for Pharaoh through Moses? It's Pharaoh. I work through everybody. What's the word for Habakkuk? Habakkuk, yes, I work through Jerusalem, but I also work through Babylon too. What? Okay, let's just, let's just think about, wait a second. Wait, no, we got to think about this. this. This can't be right. What do you mean that God is working through that stuff over there too? That cannot be right that God has raised up the wicked Babylonians to come and chastise his people. That just can't be right because God's on our side, right? No, God works just as readily through his enemies as he does his elect. Listen to Proverbs 16 and verse 4. The Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. God works in and through all things. God can just as easily work through the wicked as he does the righteous. We, like Habakkuk, miss what God is doing because we look in our God box and we think, God, if you're going to work in my life, it's going to be right here. And it's going to look like something that can fit right inside my box neatly with a lid on it and a bow on it. And God says, no, if I'm working, yeah, I'm working in there, but I'm also working everywhere else. Or, God, if you're going to work in my life, that means this is what you're going to do with me and not them over there because they don't even believe in you. Those people don't even honor you. Those people do things to defame you and anger you. But you're not going, you know, to work over there. You're going to work in me, right? God says, no, I, actually, I work just as readily over there, too. Wait a second, that doesn't fit in my God box, God. I, I felt much more comfortable that I just believed if I did what I was supposed to do, that I'd be in good graces with you, and I think everything would be all right, right? We like a back miss what God is doing because we look in our God box, which brings me to this final thing. We, like Habakkuk, miss what God is doing because we think we have him figured. Notice back in verse number five what it says again, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. 
Why is it that Habakkuk couldn't believe what God was doing? Because it was outside of his box. The reason Habakkuk struggled to believe what God was actually doing is because it was so far outside of his box. Let me give you a couple of rules for God's will. All right, here's the first rule of God's will. Never forget this rule, all right? This has been helpful to me. The first rule of God's will is this. It's God's will. That's it. Meaning the apostrophe S of ownership and possession of the will belongs to God. It's God's will. What does that mean? It's all His. When we say, well, I'm just trying to discover God's will, we are talking about something that is solely and completely His. This is why I read through the book of Job this week. When Job comes to the end of his life after asking all the questions to God and eventually getting to the accusatory phase of God of saying, God, why did you? I've been such a great person. God confronts him. Elihu confronts him and then God confronts him and then Job eventually has to say, listen, God, everything you do is right. Everything you do is right. The first rule of God's will is this, is it's God's will. And that's why Isaiah says in Isaiah 55, 8 through 9, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways. My ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, my thoughts higher than your thoughts. The second rule of God's will is this. It is his to reveal and ours to savor. The second rule of God's will is this. It's his to reveal and ours to savor. Why is it that Habakkuk didn't already know what God was doing? Because God had not revealed it yet. By the way, it's so freeing when you realize that God's will is not yours. It's all his. Therefore, that should be a huge alleviated burden to you and me. It's all God's. If it's God's will, whose burden is it to discover it and find it and obey it? Yours or His? The greater burden falls on Him. Because it's His. Now certainly once it's revealed, we are to obey it and make a choice, yes. But the burden of finding, knowing, and discovering and doing God's will falls on God. The second rule of God's will is it's his to reveal and ours to savor. And Habakkuk has now just heard the revealed will of God, which is, I'm going to do a thing that's so terrible and so outside the box that if even the best among you heard about it, they wouldn't believe it. Which brings me to the final thing. And I think this is our final takeaway. If you try to place God in a box, you better keep your lid open. If you try to place God in a box, you better keep your lid open. Now, you might think, man, Matt, you're just so anti-establishment of theology, theology and doctrine, and you just don't want any boxes or structure to God or anything. No, absolutely not. I love theology. I think about it every day. But trying to put God in a box or put Him in a structure and trying to explain Him away needs to be viewed as this. Our best attempt of making sense of someone who is infinite. 
And if you put God in a box, you better leave the lid open. When we reach our place in life and we say, God, you're not working in my life. You're not working in my family. You're not working in my people. Jesus, where are you? In fact, this is why people missed Jesus when he came the first time. You want to know why the Jews missed Jesus when he came the first time? Because he didn't fit inside their box. Because they had persuaded themselves. This is what the Savior of the world will look like. He will be a political liberator. He will push back the Romans. He will restore the monarchy. He will do all of these things. And Jesus came to establish and inaugurate the kingdom of God. But he wasn't starting here. He was starting here. And they missed him because he didn't fit inside their box. I want to ask you just a personal question today. We're at the end of our service. Have you ever asked yourself, God, why aren't you doing something in my life? Where are you? Why aren't you working in my children? Why aren't you working in my marriage? Why aren't you working in my church or my country? Why aren't God, why aren't you working? I want to assure you, your takeaway from today is, there is a thing already doing. Meaning, God is already working. You and I are not looking wide enough to see it. Because if you feel like God's not working, I'm here to tell you, he is. And also, he might be working in a way that you can't see simply because he's working in a way that you and I cannot anticipate. Why? Because we think God should just do differently. So if you're there, I want you to be encouraged today. God is working in your life right now. In all those places that you think and you look and you see like Habakkuk and you say, there is no way on earth that God is working right here. God, won't you do something about this? God is saying to you, the thing already is doing. I'm already working. And friends, you can trust him. Next week, we'll look at part two. Because God's answer to Habakkuk scared Habakkuk to death. It scares me to death. But at the end of it all, we'll find that Habakkuk is going to call God good. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your son Jesus. That name which is above every name. In that name, Lord, that we have peace with you. Lord, it is my desire that no one miss out on having peace with you, having the ability to have their sins forgiven, their life restored, and the direction set towards being with you forever and with their family forever once they die through having a personal relationship with you. 
But Lord, I know that you're working in the world regardless of whether or not we see that happening all the time or not. Lord, I pray for my friends here today, the ones that have asked this question, God, where are you? Why aren't you working? Lord, assure this daddy here today, this mama here today, this child here today, this grandparent, this son, this daughter. Oh, I am working. I see everything you see. And the thing already is doing. Just look a little wider and you'll see it. Lord, I pray that you would seal that message to our hearts. That we might take great comfort. That your will is something that belongs to you. And we can rest in the God who will do all things well. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.